I could take out of my life everything except my experiences at St. Andrew, and I still have a rich, full life. But the last tee shot I hit was more like it, that one in the playoff. Against Biden and Ray. That's right. The best thing to win the Masters, you, you will be here forever, as long as you are still alive, so that's the best thing. I'm very happy. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Talk and Golf History, the podcast that takes the game's past, brings it into the present, and examines and hopefully helps to guide what it might all mean for the future. My name's Rod Murray and today's episode tells a story that I'm certain is going to capture the imagination because I know for a fact that it already has. Many of our US-based listeners will already have seen the story of the lost golf club of Lido on Golf Channel in the lead-up to this week's PGA Championship at Bethpage Black in New York. Many of those same listeners will also be well aware that one of the central figures in that presentation of that story was my co-host, Connor Lewis. And if you know anything about Connor, you know that he shares one trait with the great Herb and Warren Wind, and that is that seven or eight minutes on Golf Channel is akin to Wind's 1,000 words. That is, barely enough time to clear his throat. So in the interest of digging into much of what was left out by necessity from the Golf Channel piece, we've taken our lead from that cult movie of the 80s, the Blues Brothers, and we've put the band back together. Today, we'll see Connor reunite with his co-presenter on that piece, Jim Urbina, and what a treat it will be to get a fuller account of one of the most amazing stories in golf. Without further ado, let's bring Connor in. And Connor, I'm sure you're blushing at all the accolades already, but can I say a genuine well done on the piece, not only on the presentation itself, which was fantastic, but just getting this sort of story onto a mainstream platform like Golf Channel, that is also a victory. Yeah, if you uh, are known to get five minutes of fame, I think Jim and I got about six. So we're done. This is the last time you ever hear from us. Um, thank you so much for having us. Um, no, it, to be honest with you, um, you know, to go very personal here, it was um, overwhelming, to be honest. Uh, when I, I was first asked uh, to be a part of this spe- specific uh, segment was just about a month ago. And, you know, the entire idea of something that, you know, I put out there in Twitter in a, in a long thread becoming uh, something that a mass audience could watch was overwhelming. I'm still overwhelmed by it. And I'm, I'm overwhelmed by all the people on Twitter and Facebook uh, who have been emailing me uh, saying what a great job, uh, you know, Jim did, uh, the, how it, you know, presented so well on the Golf Channel. Uh, it's been an eye opener. Uh, it's probably been a little bit addictive and, uh, it really, uh, makes me want to strive to do bigger and better things yeah, well, for, uh, the folks that really enjoy this. Yeah. There's, there's bigger issues at play than just a single story, isn't there? And that, uh, I really think the story itself is, was fantastic to see on that platform. And I know that a lot of people really enjoyed it because I saw a lot of those comments on Twitter myself and you should be very pleased, but to have a story like this on a mainstream platform is kind of maybe more important in the bigger picture than just this story itself and to prove that there's an interest out there for it. And I think the Golf Channel probably would have got quite a good uh, quite a good bit of feedback about that and all of it positive. So let's hope we see more of that and good on you for playing your part in that. Before we go any further, 
you know it's your job every week, Connor. Tell people where they can find us on social media and email, etc., etc. Just in case anybody didn't like it and wants to send along some feedback to say so. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, well, let's see. Right off on Twitter, you can reach Rod, and I, if you have a complaint, it always goes to Rod. <laughs> so I'm the complaints um, department. It's yes. at Rod underscore Mori. Uh, you can find me at at S Historians on Twitter. Uh, we have our Facebook page, which I plug every single time, which is a private page. Uh, go on Facebook, search for it. It's the Society of Golf Historians. Uh, click on it. Click, you know, join, and I approve you. And then finally, I just added a brand new email address, which is the Society of Golf Historians at gmail.com. All those methods will reach us. Fantastic. And I know that the Facebook site in particular has been growing, Connor, and great to see. I'm not a Facebook guy, but I do check in there occasionally and lots of activity, which is good to see. Uh, and well done. Oops, apologies for that noise in the background. Well done. That was great. I like the gong. Yeah. You got gonged. I <laughs> like that. It's the springs on my microphone arm. If you tap them, the, it reverberates <laughs> right through to the microphone. Enough of all that. Let's get on with today's episode. And, of course, Connor wasn't alone in bringing this remarkable tale to the Golf cha- Channel. He was more than ably assisted by one of the game's most respected course architects and shapers in Jim Urbina. Jim is no stranger to visualizing, visualizing what a golf course might look like in the future, given his decades of work alongside Pete Dye and Tom Doak. Now, I have no doubt that that skill was helpful in bringing to life in his mind a course from the past. In walking the Lido site, Jim joins us from, I think, Colorado. Jim, fantastic to have you along, and congratulations, as with Connor, to you on being part of what I think was a pretty important story in its own right and more broadly. I'm sure you, like us, love to see more of this sort of stuff on the Golf Channel. Rod, thank you for having me, Connor. Uh, as always, even though I've only known you for a short period of time, I feel like I've known you forever. Can you imagine how his wife feels, I'm, Jim? <laughs> no, I was going to say, I'm so sorry. I was going to apologize. That's a perfectly legitimate response too, Connor, yes. Uh, no, it was terrific, Jim. Were you, I imagine you would have been happy to get the call up, but it's such a fabulous story. We don't. The criticism, I suppose, of the, of the Golf Channel has been we haven't seen enough of this sort of thing over the years. Fantastic and full credit to them for doing it, don't you think? Well, I... I I have always been in love with history, uh, first starting with Pete Dye and, and going on to work with Renaissance Golf Design. I've, I've embraced history sometimes uh, to, my, to my discredit, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I tend to live in the past. I don't mind uh, the present, but I tend to live in the past. And when I was asked to be a part of the Lido Project, I felt compelled to uh, speak as much as they would let me and for sure tell people something that I have been looking at since 1993. Wow. My first visit to Long Beach uh, in New York, uh, I was doing consulting work at the Garden City Golf Club, and I didn't realize this, but the Lido was just a short 15-minute drive south on Long Beach Road. So, Rod, how did I ever imagine that 25 years later mm. I would be talking about something that I was just in its infancy looking at back in the early 90s? Sharing that story with such a, a, a broad audience. Jim, just more broadly before we come to the Lido specifically, I feel like it's important that notion of, you say, you know, sometimes to your, to your detriment this idea of living in the past – in golf in particular, doesn't the past have so much to teach us and so many of those lessons at the moment, I feel like 
we're not taking notice of, and, and there's so much to learn from golf in the past. My first excursion to the lynx lands of Scotland and Ireland was courtesy of the Dye family. Mm-hmm. I began as a shaper many, many moons ago, and I asked that sometimes stupid question, what does lynx golf mean? Mm-hmm. And no sooner did I ask that question and the dyes had sent me off to Presswick, Scotland to study lynx golf. Mm-hmm. And for somebody like me who was never brought up in the golf business, who didn't play golf as a youth, when I f- stepped off the plane and I walked onto my first lynx golf Presswick, I thought how wonderful, how fascinating. And it tells you, Rod, uh, Connor, you know already that the past is really what drives our future. And if we don't know where we came from, how could we know where we're going? Yeah, I think uh, all the... So true. What did, I think uh, Mike Clayton just quoted this to me the other day. I think it might be the last page in Tom Doak's new little red book. All the answers to golf can be found in Scotland. And it's quite confronting when you first see it, isn't it, Jim? But you very quickly well, get the sense of adventure and sport and... And that beautiful, wildly random nature of golf as opposed to all other games. No straight lines, no boundaries. You make your own decisions. It's a fantastic, free-flowing form of the game, isn't it? It's so simple in its Mm. presentation. And when I was working for the Dyes out in California, I was in the, I wouldn't say the epicenter, but I would say the part of golf that was, was in my mind, going the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cart paths. Uh, all of the things that were so far from that first step off the plane in, in Scotland at Preswick. Mm. And I'm not saying that that we shouldn't try to uh, live the modern game. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm telling you, when you go to St. Andrews, when you see the Scots playing golf, when you see them walking with their trolleys and the dogs in tow, You think, this is how I want to play the game. And so when I come back to America and I want to play that style of game, it it, it doesn't ever feel like uh, 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 like I have too many uh, partners. But Connor, I could tell, would would scurry along with me, pushing the trolley and with the dog in tote. So I learned something. I was molded. And I can't ever thank the Dyes enough for sending me there to start my uh, history lesson in golf design. Just another small brick in the incredible wall of contribution that the Dyes have made to, <laughs> to this game. Uh, and we may not yet, whilst there was lots of lovely accolades when both Alice and Pete passed, I don't think we'll ever fully appreciate their legacy, perhaps for another generation, because that's just kind of the way the world works. Before we talk about the lead, O'Connor, I think you've had that same awakening that Jim just described, as have I. It's an incredible moment in a golfer's life. Yeah. Is it the first time you sort of... It, it, it is. It, it's confronting. And within a few minutes, you understand why golf in Scotland is just so special and important. Yeah, and you come here, um, or you come back, let's just say, to the States... Or Australia. In, but Australia's not, or, <laughs> isn't, or, isn't or Australia is not. Or Australia. Well, I, mean, I think you have some of that in Australia. I mean, you have the, the sand belt. We do. You come back here, and I don't know. I, there's a, a sense of mysticism that's lost from the game here in the United States in many parts. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to believe that we are 
in the midst of a change. Yes, I think it may be a slow running change, but mm-hmm. I think there's just enough momentum out there. Um, I have to believe that people are starting to feel that mysticism again. Yep. That's the best way I can put it. There's a little bit of a movement, isn't there? We can, I know we live in the yeah, bubble, yeah. and that can be sometimes... A groundswell. That's right. It sort right? of skews groundswell. your view, but I do think there is uh, a bit of a movement. I suppose in some ways, Jim, uh, the cart path and the cart and the housing development and engineering, and it's all very pragmatic, isn't it? And it's all the things golf isn't in Scotland. <laughs> it makes perfect well, sense to do golf the way modern golf's been done for quite a few years, but it's lost something, I think, as Connor described there. It's that, that pragmatism isn't what golf's about, is it? Well, I can tell you that one of the most refreshing and most enjoyable times I had was building, designing, creating both Pacific Dunes and Old MacDonald on the coast of Oregon for Mr. Mike Kaiser. Mm-hmm. One of his first very first instructions was jim we will have no cart paths and it was like a weight had come on off (laughs) it it was like a new freedom because if people only knew how much that path is a restriction to creativity Mm -hmm. a lot of people would get rid of the path but i also understand its need for access for maintenance vehicles but but when you take that path away, something I never saw on the lynx lands of Scotland and Ireland, you take that path away. It's a freedom. It's part of the art that is enhanced without that concrete or paved path streaming along your every step. Yeah, indeed. We've gotten away from what we came together to talk about, but I think we're all in agreement, and that's to the good. I like it when people agree with things that I say, and so that's nice, and uh, we can move forward. Let's talk about the Lido. Connor, I want to start with you, because you kind of launched this ship, didn't you, with that Twitter thread that you briefly mentioned you'd done a few months ago. For those who aren't familiar, tell them the little bit of craziness that launched this entire thing that ended with a golf channel piece. I remember it, because I was there when it happened, but uh, tell them how that all came about. Well... You know, it kind of started with – I've had uh, a couple ideas that have gone with uh, the whole Twitter thing, just to engage people. Um, it really started off on kind of a spinoff of, you know, some of the great lost golf courses of the world, right? And I originally started off, and um, I, I mapped out uh, the lost links, the original lost links of Shinnecock. Uh, I did one where uh, – I did some serious research and found the original site of the St. Andrews Golf Club in New York, which that's another podcast altogether, how I found it, because it was completely lost. (laughs) I was literally looking at symbols and maps trying to figure out uh, where it connected and where it was, because it was a housing development now. There was no site of it. And um, I knew of Lido. Of course, I I studied McDonald and, and Rayner. And um, everyone knows that, well, all the people who love McDonald and Rayner and who have read, read Bato and um, some of the works out there, even Wexler's books on Lost and Missing Links. And it really got me thinking, like, where, where was this thing? And, and, of course, Jim Urbina, by the way, he already knew. I mean, he was there 20 years before I did my search. Uh, but there's, there wasn't a lot of information out there uh, for the masses. So... Um, I started looking and I started hearing all, and Jim knows this well, there's a lot of just terrible rumors, some of which probably come from the, uh, the Lido Club that exists there now, 
that it sat on, that the current Robert Trent Jones course sat on the northern part of the Lido Club, the original Lido Club, which is, Jim will uh, say as well, is completely false. And so I started with that thinking, all right, well, connect the dots. And within about 10 seconds, I was like, well, that doesn't work at all. This hotel you know, is, is like a half mile down the road, and it was right next to the course. So um, I basically just started overlaying the map, uh, which was uh, Charles Blair McDonald's map. Uh, I believe it was in, was in American Golfer or Golf Illustrated, Jim. Do you know off the top uh, of your head? It was, it was in Golf, American Golf Illustrated. Okay, thank you. And uh, overlaid the map using satellite images. And essentially said, okay, well, now I have to go to New York and I'm going to see what's actually there. And I walked the course. I hit a couple illegal golf shots, quote, <laughs> unquote, on the, uh, the ocean hole. Like I walked off 235 yards from where the green would have been and, and played the hole, uh, which probably could have got me arrested. So if you're hearing this and you're the police, <laughs> I'm making this part up. That's right. That never and I happened. made that up. Just that never happened. There is. There may be a Pro V1 somewhere in the sand, but it's not mine. Um, and so that's kind of how it started. And I went into a, a rather long thread on the entire history of the Lido. And from what I understand, the Golf Channel or some of their researchers came across the thread and thought it would be an interesting story. And fortunately for me, um, they brought Jim uh, into the show because his mastery of this course is the exact reason why we have him on the show today. He studied it for over 20 years, and, and we'll get into uh, maybe a future project that he would like to do here as well. Indeed. Jim, it's just struck me that we've come all this way, and it's the classic mistake to make. I just assumed that everybody knows the lost the, court, the story of the lost course of Lido. Give us a thumbnail sketch of what Lido was and what happened to it. Well, as Connor said, 20 years ago, I, just, I made the same mistake that many people have made, driving down to the Long Beach going over to the Lido Golf Club and assuming that was the location. Mm -hmm. But in fact, I found out within a week or two after that it was not the location. Um, the current location that you can Google up on Google uh, Images was actually owned by the Sedin family. And they operated it for several years before the war broke out. And as the war was uh, starting to evolve, the family realized that the Navy was going to take over the land that the Lido sat on. And this is the part that I didn't get to tell in the Golf Channel piece was, according to one of the family members, someone supposedly took photos of every hole before they destroyed it, Ooh. the Navy destroyed the land. Ooh. But wow. we can't seem to find those photos or the maps because I have talked to the family. But the family bought the land to the east of the original Lido and rebuilt it, as Connor said, using Robert Trent Jones, mm -hmm. senior. He did a faux channel hole and he did some of the other holes that were that would resemble the Lido but it was not in that location and yeah. after I found out it wasn't in that location that's when I started to do my research and talk to people most notably the late George Bottom. 
Okay. So just to go back, Jim, because um, I'm not a, I'm not super clear on this myself. Whose idea originally was the Lido Club? We know that the clubhouse or the hotel that there is, is, is an amazing sort of a monolith, and I'm familiar with the story of Mackenzie's design of the 18th hole being the competition winner in the magazine. So there's an awful lot of stuff has happened around Lido before it got built. Can you give us a thumbnail sketch of perhaps some of that? We know it was lost and we know that the war was sort of the cause of it and what's happened since, but we need to get a sense of, of how it came into being. It was considered at the time by many, was it or, or was it the best golf course in the world or one of? One of the best in the world, uh, right up there with Pine Valley. There was a gentleman by the name of Roger Winthrop. He was the founder of the Lido, and he had gathered some of his friends who were also members of the National Golf Links of America and prominent members of the New York Society. He had gathered them and said he wanted to build a golf course like no other. Mr. Winthrop challenged Mr. McDonald by saying these words, build us a course that would have on it your greatest golf holes and you can have complete freedom. That was Roger Winthrop's uh, uh, challenge to C.B. McDonald and Seth Rayner to build this Seaside Lynx golf course. And so with that, McDonald originally did not want to do it because he had created his ultimate golf course, the National Golf Links of America. <laughs> how could it? How could it get better than that? Yeah, outcreate yourself. There's a, there's a problem there, isn't there? Yes. And so, when McDonald accepted the challenge, as I had quoted out of the book Scotland's Gift Golf, he felt like creator and took on that challenge with Seth Rayner. But if it wasn't for Roger Winthrop the Lido would not exist or would have not existed in the early 1900s. Because, of course, it was an engineering marvel, wasn't it, what was done to the land to create the course? Well, when I talked about in the piece for Golf Channel that it was 2 million cubic yards of sand, what people don't know, and as Connor uh, uh, phrased it perfectly by saying they pumped sand onto the landform. So a million of those cubic yards of dirt was just to raise up the land six feet above water level. And so on top of that one million cubic yards to raise it up six feet above sea level, then they started to create these textured landforms, the Alps almost 20 feet in the air, the Knoll almost 15 feet into the air. And so that's that quantity of 2 million cubic yards, quite a feat. Of course, that, that would still be quite a feat with modern equipment, would it not, 100 years later? If you were asked to recreate and, that on that scale, what sort of scale of a job would that be, Jim? And I wished I could have had a chance to say this on the Golf Channel uh, episode, yeah. and that was... Today, we use scrapers, big earth-moving equipment. We use big dozers. We Mm. use big excavators. They were using, as Connor nicely put, buggies and wheelbarrows. Mm. And I looked up what one wheelbarrow held as far as amount of dirt, and I realized that it took 14 wheelbarrows to make a cubic yard. And as I said in the piece, can you imagine – 14 wheelbarrows per cubic yard 
Rod, you do the math. Yeah, you sure. tell me how many wheelbarrows they rolled around that place. 28. 20, it would have been a good time to be in the wheelbarrow business, Jim, in hindsight. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> One could have done quite nicely. What first drew, drew you to the story, Connor? Because it, it's quite remarkable. The story was, wasn't unknown, but wasn't widely known for a long time. Was, I don't reckon I heard about the Lido, given I'm in Australia, but I didn't hear about the Lido. I reckon I read a Bradley Klein piece maybe 15 years ago, and it felt like the story had just kind of been lost in the sands of time, that this amazing thing was built and then completely lost to the world. I'm sorry, was that to me? Yeah, sorry, for you, Connor. So where did you first become aware of it? Is that your sense too, that the story's become better known perhaps in the last decade and a half? I I mean, this is literally why, you know, I founded the Society of Golf Historians, because there are thousands of stories, not quite like the Lido, but these stories that have kind of been lost in time or have been glazed over by, you know, myths and tales of, you know, the original, you know, the, the current Lido club is half of the original. And there's so many stories like that. So it kind of that you want to set the record straight. You want to get that out to the masses as best as you can. Now, the other thing that's absolutely fascinating about the Lido to me is here we have by some accounts, the greatest course ever built, by other accounts, in the top three. And this is a golf course that lasted only 28 years. Mm. To me, that alone just is like, ah, you know, how is that? I need to know that story. People need to know that story. And, I mean, here's a little uh, information I picked up. This, is, uh, this wasn't on the Golf Channel broadcast, but essentially from 1914 to 1928, Lido might have seen only 6 to 12 players a day play their their rounds on the Lido. And the reason was there was no place to sleep. You're coming in on horse and buggy or a very archaic version of the car um, on muddy and rocky roads. It was a terrible drive from anywhere to get the Lido. I mean, you imagine they lifted this up, as as Jim just said, uh, you know, 6 feet above sea level and another, you know, 10 to 20 feet above that. Well, getting there, they didn't lift everything around it up that high. They just lifted the course out of nothingness. So you're taking these treacherous roads on either horse and buggy or the Model T. And what would take you maybe an an hour now might have taken you six or seven. So it was a big deal Mm. to get there. And for the first, what, 10 years, 14 years, there was no place to stay. So, you know, the Lido Hotel came along in uh, 1928. Um, just prior to that, the uh, Lido Golf Club expanded rooms to, I believe, 80 rooms to accommodate some of their members. But think about that. This, in the first 10 years of play, um, there's a quote by Peter Lees, I believe, in 1919 that said how it was unfortunate that he had to mow off hay off of the off the greens which you know there wasn't hay but he was chopping down the greens because essentially the grass had grown as long as hay just so he could accommodate six players that day in 1919 wow so you have this greatest course it's also this you know lost giant neglected even in its prime until the golf court or golf club and then um the hotel expands to offer and then right as soon as you do that Hmm. you know Lady Luck spins on a dime and the Great Depression hits us. Yeah. And so then you have the other issue that you know, I, brought, I think I brought up, I can't remember on the show was or on the segment, is that this was a third and fourth course for many of the members. 
Uh, they were members, as Jim just said, the National Golf Links. There was a big membership from Piping Rock. Um, there were members from all over New York and even outside of New York. It might have been one of the first international golf clubs in the United States. But when the Great Depression hit, even though these people, most of them, kept their fortunes, they still cut back. Hmm. And they cut back on their fifth club, their fourth club, and their third <laughs> club right. and, stayed, and stayed with the other great clubs. And unfortunately, <laughs> that was to the detriment of the Lido. Uh, it's think, sad. And, and that's why the story has to be told, because yeah. you have something that's so amazing, but it was great for such a small period of time. But to still to this day, you know, 105 years later, it's still on the tip of our tongue. It's, it's, it's almost rock star-like, isn't it, Jim? That's a tough discussion to have, isn't it? Which of the well, fourth I, or the fifth or the I sixth can, club you're going to give up because things are tight? I don't know about you, but I always but I, hate it when that time comes around. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jim. Well, I, I don't have that uh, <laughs> uh, freedom to do that, but I can tell you, from the architectural standpoint, the number of people involved with this, the writers, Tom Simpson, Alistair yeah. McKenzie, on and on and on, McDonald had gathered quite a team to create these features that touched the Atlantic Ocean and the Reynolds Channel. It was so high up there in the level of architectural design, and yet, as Connor had uh, had said, it only lasted for such a short period of time. That's what caught my interest. Mm-hmm. How did he assemble? How did he assemble this talented group of people? Yet nobody got to see it for an extended period of time. And do you have an answer for that? For us, Jim, how did that happen? I mean, we can understand the whole war thing, but it would be akin to if something was to happen in the modern era and Augusta National was lost to the world. That's an unthinkable. Yeah. Or, or St. Andrews. It's an unthinkable proposition, and yet it certainly happened with a course that was held in, in a regard equal in its time as Augusta is probably held in these days. What are some of the answers to those questions, do you think? For me, it's the amount of money they spent to build it. Yeah. If you would have only built it like the Scots and the Irish build their golf courses with very small inputs of money, they find the best land. That's what keeps these golf courses open, not having to spend a lot of money on construction. But you throw in Wadger Winthrop's challenge to McDonald. You are now the creator, Charles Blair McDonald, and Rayner helped McDonald create. But with that creation, it cost money. Too much money. Would it have been possible, Jim, to have built a great golf course on the site without moving that much dirt and spending that much money? I can't say for sure because I don't know what the topography Mm. looked like, but I do know the 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 chance to build the Biritz on the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the chance to build the channel hole with all yeah. of the features of the of of the Littlestone Club. Wow. Why wouldn't you want to show this to America? Yeah. But when a I have an article that talks about a nor'easter, what we call a nor'easter now, a weather phenomena that 
causes waves crashing onto the Atlantic uh, southern seashore of Long Island. It wiped out the Beer Ritz as we know it today, and they had to move it inland. And yeah. all of these things that were causing a mishap after mishap, yet it still captures my imagination because of the effort they put in to create it. Yeah, I, I, you know, sorry, what I, Rod, let me just jump. I was going to say the one thing I was thinking about this the other day, and it, it didn't make the segment, but you know why it's a really big loss to me. So again, as I mentioned on the show, uh, this was a chance for Rainer and McDonald and for McKinsey as his part and Simpson for his part that I'm sure we'll get Jim into here in a second. But it was their chance to create a golf course, their ideal golf course from scratch, right? They created their own palette, their own topography. So here's what I was thinking. The ideal of every template hole would have been on the Lido. Every other template hole in the history of existence was built on the land that was there. Now, they shaped it, but they had to work with the topography of that land. This was the one time in the history of Charles Blair McDonald and Seth Rayner where they had complete control of topography. So if you were ever going to build the best Alps hole ever, the best template of the Eden, the best, you know, uh, Rainer's dogleg, the best Redan, the best Beeritz. This was that opportunity, and I have to believe that's what this course was. And it, it's a it it's a crying shame. It's a tragedy if you love McDonald and Rainer and Banks uh, template holes to not know in their eyes what was the greatest version of those holes. Mm. I, and, I don't know the answer to that. And for me, Rod, when I talk and when I look and I explore and I, and I research the, the template holes or what McDonald called the ideal holes that he drew up while his travels in the, in the UK, I went and visited all of those holes. And when I see where the Eden is at St. Andrews and where I, when I see the Redan at North Berwick and I see what McDonald brought back to America, each one of the golf courses that he created before the Lido, they were great. They were good. They were as good as you can get without playing them in Scotland and UK and and, and in England. But Connor had it right. They built the Eden so the channel, the oh, Reynolds yeah. channel was the background yeah. for the Eden hole, <laughs> much like it's perfect. the estuary yeah. at St. Andrews. Yeah. But they you. could never do that anywhere else no. that they had, they had built their golf courses, but they did it at the Lido. What do we know specifically about the holes, Jim, that were built there? How much information do we have? I've seen a couple of photos and a few photos we used in those amazing overlays, Connor, that – you organized. Yeah, Remind Peter Flory. Peter, Peter Flory actually helped us with that. Yeah, Peter Flory I want to make sure we say his name. And say it many times because what an amazing image and visual that gave us. But, Jim, how much do we know? Do we know enough to be able to say specific things about specific holes? And do, we know, do we know about all of the holes or only some of the holes that were spoken about? How much knowledge is there of the, the finer details? 
I know Connor's no I know Connor's laughing because I showed him some photos that nobody's ever seen oh, yeah. before. Oh, yeah. oh, sorry, are we still talking about the golf now, Jim, or were you off on a tangent with Connor? No, I'm only kidding. No, no. <laughs> he no, showed me some no. photos. Yeah, he showed me some photos of Lido that to my knowledge have never been published. And I was like, Can I get can I get a can I get a copy of that? Can I <laughs> I'm taking like photographs with my eyeballs because yeah. he would not let me have them. I'm like, okay, I remember that. So, what have you so, got, Jim? Where did you get it, and what does it tell us? Rod, I have aerials that nobody's ever seen before, oh. to my knowledge, uh-huh. or at least they have not been plugged, published. Mm-hmm. I have images that show three-dimensional uh, mounding. Uh, I have images wow. that that would help me create this to the best of anyone's ability so it can be done what i still am looking for and i never say never is were those pictures taken by the sedine family and were those drawings done and last but not least was that plasticine model that shows up in golf illustrated really completed to the scale of the plasticine model that was done for the National Golf Links of America. A lot of people don't know this, but there's a full-scale plasticine model of the National Golf Links of America. Wow. If they did it for the National, I think they did it for the Lido. What happened to that model? Because that would really help me create the last little images that I need. But... I do have images that people have not seen before that would help me create these features that would recapture the essence of the Lido. I just have to find the right land, and we have been looking. Uh, and so I hope that someday it comes to fruition. Because, mm. of course, it can't be recreated on the actual land. Can it? There are now housing developments and schools and all sorts of things on the land. That would co- cost a lot of a money. A lot of money. Well, there's already one, resident who'd be, there's already one resident who'd be prepared to sell, Connor, because some lunatic came knocking on his door asking if he could go up to the third floor window and have a yeah, look out and I see mean, the old Lido who, who doesn't? Who doesn't do that? I mean, I thought it was totally natural. God love Brendan, and, and, and Brendan at the Golf Channel, the producer, was like, I, I, I asked that up. I, mean, I don't know. Did, were you right there when I asked him, Jim? And he was like, uh, no, we're not doing that. I nope. have to go. Well, I, was like, I was like, just so you know, I'm going. I'm going no matter whether you're coming with me or not. And, Rod, just a small little uh, portion of my, my, my part of it. I pointed to a porch uh, while we were standing there doing a piece. I said, Connor, that's about the elevation they would be standing at looking to the south and the 18th hole. And as you know, Connor's exuberance uh, <laughs> came out, and he was going to go stand on that balcony just so he could say, I stood, stood and saw what it looked like. What you are, Jim, is, is an enabler. And I did that. <laughs> you're an enabler? An enabler. Yeah, you don't <laughs> say that to me. That's right. You're as guilty, you're as, guilty as Connor, uh, as guilty as... <laughs> Connor is there. Uh, you said you're looking for the piece of land. Is, is it a possibility that we might one day see a recreation of the Lido, Jim? I'm guessing that in your mind, yes, it is. That this is a sort of a dream of yours. How realistic is that, do you feel? Well, actually, Mr. Kaiser, back in the uh, early 2000s, had discussed with Mr. George Bado, may he rest in peace, 
George Botto, who had done extensive research on McDonald, Rayner, and the Lido. He asked George if he thought that we could recreate the Lido at the Bandon Dunes Resort. George Botto had spent, I don't know, a couple, two weeks, two or three weeks up on site and had laid out some of the some of the models that he had and maps that he had and thought that uh, that Mike Kaiser could create the Lido there. But after further review, there wasn't enough land and there was a dune that ran down the uh, one third of the property that wouldn't allow you to create the Lido in its, it's an entirety. So that's why Tom Doak and I, recreated old mcdonald in the spirit of charles blair mcdonald and seth rayner but mike kaiser had originally thought that he could recreate with george Botto the lido at the bandon dunes resort wouldn't that have been something <laughs> yeah, i can imagine if you put the beerets if you put the beerets on the cliff right you'd have your one body of water you would just need something on the other end right to basically get the feel of the channel that's did, correct did you feel did you, is that what you were looking at when you were that's looking at what, that piece that's of land we were that's what we were looking at but it it just didn't work out in the same faith that yeah. the lido uh, possessed one of the key things for the lido is that the holes that mcdonald talked about the ones that played into the wind especially mckenzie's uh, prize winning drawing has to play to the south and so any property that we have been looking at, that I've been looking at, I look for that, Rod. Isn't that weird? I'm looking for the wind that comes out of the south-southwest. That's how passionate I am about making it as close as to the feel of the Lido that it should be. I can't imagine, Rod, Jim. You can, now see, Sorry. you can now see why I like Jim yeah, so much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can see why the two of you <laughs> get on. He's crazy like me. Yeah, that's right. I can only imagine, Jim, your excitement at the suggestion that you might get this opportunity from someone like Mike Kaiser who can afford to do it, not just a dreamer, who can afford to make it happen and has the land, and then your, I imagine, deflation and disappointment as it becomes obvious that it won't be possible. That's that's magnificent well, and awful can, all in one, isn't it? I can say it was magnificent because we had a chance to create McDonald and Rayner's ideal holes at Bandon Dunes Resort mm -hmm. for the people who have yeah. played old McDonald. I can't say that Mike Kaiser has not stopped looking no. because we, we continue to explore ideas as well as other people who have contacted me. So hang on. It may happen. No, it's not over yet. But That's right. I think, I think, Rod, it has to be in the truest spirit that it can be. It can't have cart paths. It can't have all of the things that may come with a modern design. Mm. And it has to be orientated from north to south. south with that south-southwest wind, which would make the channel hole unbelievably cool, mm. which would make the Redan play downhill with the wind to your back left shoulder I have studied this for years. Mm. I know what it needs to be. I hope it can come to fruition. Yeah, indeed. I'd love to. I'd love it if you ever you got the chance, Jim. Yeah, sorry, come on. You know, Rod, what's what's interesting about that is there's people out there that don't want to see it. Um, Jim and I had this conversation that there's people really? that said, no, it, it had its time. Uh, um, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Connor. 
And I, I just think, I, I think there, I think it, it needs to happen. I think it's important that it happens. I think that if if you really truly had a great idea of what McDonald and Rayner's true ideal, I'm using quotation marks, um, template holes without worry about geography, without worry about topography and being able to shape it to their ideal of the ideal. I would want to see that. I, I mean, I would want to play that. I would cherish that. Um, but that's just me. I'm, I'm the lunatic in the room, but I, I think it's important that it is done at some point. And I think it would be a nice little homage if you will, to perhaps the greatest course ever built. What do you reckon, Jim? And I will tell you, Rod, that I have been told that you should leave well enough alone, that it's better to keep it in your your mind Mm -hmm. than rather than experience it with your body. And I go back and forth, but I tend to lean that wouldn't you want to walk down the hole that McKenzie had Mm. supplied to McDonald for the 18th hole. Wouldn't you want to play Tom Simpson's hole on the 15th? I mean, it is in mind and spirit, but I think why not walk it? Why not live it? We have the ability. It's just an opinion, but people have said to me, leave well enough alone. I wonder well, you, you know what? Let me jump in there. Yeah. Let me tell you this. Just sorry, Rod, because I think this is important to what you're saying and, and the naysayers is, do you know who else heard that? Charles Blair McDonald heard that from a lot of his peers when he decided he wanted to build an ideal golf course in America, which turned out to be National Golf Links America. There were people writing about, you can't recreate ideal holes in Scotland or in England and bring them over to America and fit them on random topography. They exist only in this place. You cannot duplicate them. And Seth Trainer and McDonald repeatedly proved that wrong. And that's why I stick to my guns. I think that's why Lido should be done, because the naysayers might not be looking at the history of how the template holes came to exist. And that's why I'd like to see it. I wonder, Jim, and this is for you too, Connor, is it possible that Lido is, has been romanticized to a point because it's gone, because it's no longer with us, that we view it as something more than it was? Great question. And every time I go down and I stand on the beach in Long Beach, and every time I look and I look at the drawings and the plasticine models of what Mackenzie did or Tom Simpson did and where the channel hole laid on the Reynolds channel, I think, is it romanticism? Or wouldn't you want to touch and feel who doesn't want to touch and feel the things that they buy? Mm. Do they only look at, at a picture and say, wow, that would be cool to have? No, they want to touch it and feel it. And I think people should have the chance to touch and feel what it would have been like to play McKenzie's drawing, mm. to play the channel hole. Mm. And I, I'm with Connor. I just... I want to touch and feel it, and, 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 and I have the passion, and I've done the research. I've found old school cards. I have proved to myself that the routing was the way McDonald had, uh, had drawn, and I just think 
people should have that chance to touch and feel what the Lido was like. That would be... And for me, Rod... Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Rod. I was going to say, that would be an enormous responsibility, Jim, wouldn't it? If you if you ever get that opportunity, that it's a bit like the pressure of the back nine Sundays, and like, that's what you want, and now you're there. Oh, McDonald. There you, McDonald had that same pressure. Now you're there. And it's, well, wow. is this as much fun as I thought it was going to be? <laughs> you know, well, Rod, you, you just blew up my balloon. <laughs> I didn't... I didn't want to think about the pressure. I just wanted to think That's about right. letting people touch and feel it. Yeah, give me the ball, give me the ball. Oh, hang on a minute. I'm supposed you to know. go and put it through the hoop now. I don't know about that. That's the hard part. <laughs> but, Rod, but Rod, let me tell you this. I'll be honest with you. Even if we didn't get it exactly right, even if we didn't get it to the nth degree or the tenth of an inch, as Connor said, McDonald still had that passion to bring those ideal holes over to America. And he was asked to be that creator. And Rayner helped him be the creator. Why wouldn't we want to try it again? I must say, I'm in agreement, but it's important to play devil's advocate sometimes. Connor, you're about to say something. I'm sorry, I'll cut you off there. Yeah, well, I was just going to jump in. Well, first of all, to that point, I'm sure McDonald felt a bunch of pressure building the ideal golf course after he had already done it. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, uh, you know, if Jim gets the opportunity, he'd be in good company uh, because McDonald and Seth Rayner, I'm certain, had that same feeling. But to your point before, are we romanticizing this course that only lasted for 28 years? Absolutely. I mean, what, what is golf if there isn't romance in it? Mm-hmm. Right when you mm-hmm. walk on the links of National Golf Links or or St Andrews, um, are, aren't you not are you not overcome with the emotion of what happened before, and, and what has happened? Who stepped in your steps? Who's played those rounds? Who stepped over the Swilkin Bridge? I mean, golf is nothing but romanticism. Yeah. And I'll tell you this: I knew this story was going to happen the first time I walked the links of Lido. I was standing on what would have been the, the green of the Birets, the eighth hole in the ocean. And you have to imagine, I'm looking back at the Lido Hotel, and the ocean, ocean is smacking up against the, the sand. And it was just this beautiful, stunning wind coming in. And I'd come in toward the end of the day. Uh, I had been uh, doing a little research at the National Golf Links, and it was late in the day, and I was kind of pressing my time to get there. And a thunderstorm had just left the area, and here I am standing on the Birets, and I'm overwhelmed to start with, but there was this eerie fog over the course, or what was the course. And just as I stepped on what would have been that green, it started to clear just as the sun started setting. And I don't believe in ghosts, but for about 10 minutes, I did. Mm. Like I could feel something in that course that really inspired me to tell the story that is it romantic? Absolutely. But I mean, for all of those who love the game, Mm. that's exactly what it is. We're in love with the game. It's romance. And you're you're playing on the ocean. You're playing against a channel. Uh, I think as, as Jim so expertly said, name another course that has two amazing bodies of water, you know, as bookends Mm. and then take that and say, 
you take a genius in, in Seth Rayner, you take a genius in Charles Blair McDonald, and then you take a genius in Simpson, and you take another one in McKinsey, and you put together all of these ideal holes into one 18-hole golf course. Yes, we romanticize it, and we should. Should. Because the, the idea of that literally gives me goosebumps, and it should everybody who loves the game. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, we, we totally romanticize it. You're absolutely but I right. But I think in its time... I think there were. I think in the early days it played too tough because we were getting six to twelve people playing the course. But had it had the traffic, I think it would have lived up to every expectation. I think today, right now, if that course was alive and well in its current position, you're talking about a top three golf course in the United States. I'm not going to tell you who it's going to bump, but I think we have a top three golf course. If you took the best of the minds of those four architects on one course with the Atlantic Ocean, I mean, that's something I want to see. That's mm. just me. Uh, no, I think, <laughs> I think you might be right. Now you've got me wanting to see it as well. Jim, uh, give us a, quickly a rundown of the McKenzie involvement there for those who might not be familiar with the story. And then while you're doing that, have a think about what are the lasting impacts the Lido might have had, if any? Do you find yourself referring back to the Lido in your own work on a regular basis? I imagine you do. But some of those other lasting impacts of what was an extraordinary experiment that through no fault of its own was ultim- ultimately failed, I guess you would have to say. But first, that McKenzie involvement, how that came to be. Part of the, part of the idea that McDonald had taken down to Long Beach with Seth Rayner was to create once again, these ideal holes and make them better than they had ever been done before. That was the challenge. But on top of that, McDonald had reached out to several writers and suggested, why not? Why don't we have a competition? And the competition would be have some, people submit ideas of their of their holes what they would build so alistair mckenzie of english fame who had already done more town than all woodley uh, he was no he was no uh amateur when mm-hmm. it came to designing golf holes right. he submitted a drawing to the country life magazine as an entrant there was over 80 entrants into this to this uh uh, contest. Any other famous and, ones, and, Jim, that we know of off, offhand, uh, who became well-known well, later or at the time were well-known already? There was only one other one, and that was Tom Simpson. Right. But McDonald didn't recognize the 15th hole as Tom Simpson's hole. He had actually flipped the hole around and called it his idea. So when you look at the drawing that Simpson had done and submitted as part of the uh, Country Life uh, Challenge, Simpson was not allowed to compete because he was considered a professional golfer or professional designer. Uh But the design that Mr. Simpson had submitted was technically not used, but if you flip it over, it was the exact thing that Simpson had drawn, yet McDonald never gave Simpson credit for it. Oh, it's delicious, so, isn't it? We still see that sort of thing today, don't we, Jim? <laughs> this is one of the yeah. fantastic stuff. Some things never change. I just changed. flipped it over, so it's yep. no longer Tom Simpson. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. 
But he, those were the two people, uh, McKenzie and Simpson, that had had kind of been recognized as, as architects who were a part of the process. But it was really Seth Rayner and McDonald taking these, those ideal holes and, and, and transported them to Long Beach. Mm-hmm. As far as the uh, – remind me, Rod, of the sex, second the, question. The influence of the Lido ongoing, it might be gone, but I feel like it's probably had an influence with all of those great names being involved in it. It might be hard. It might be an unanswerable question, but I'm sure you must think about holes at the Lido and things that you've seen on site there in your own design and building work as you go along. Always, always. And almost every architect in America has used inspiration from one of the Lynx Lens golf courses of the UK. Mm -hmm. I can't say for sure that... All of them would admit it, but they do use it for inspiration. And so what did Alito have to do with that inspiration? Well, I know writers were writing about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that people were coming to visit it. I know famous golfers were playing it. So the word was getting out. Now, how far did it transpose? Did it go to California? I don't know. Did it go to Texas? I don't know. But I do know that the people who studied architecture and wrote about it, including Bernard Darwin, said it's a wonder of which will never fade. And so for me, that's a lasting impression on golf architecture as much as St. Andrews, Mm. as much as Pine Valley, excuse me, and as much as the National Golf Links of America, all integral parts of modern architecture, I'm sorry, of golden age architecture that still is used today. Mm-hmm. And to me, the value of the Lido must have been a part of that. Yeah. And similarly, if any of those courses were no longer with us, their their influence wouldn't pass, would it? Maybe just their physical presence. So it's easy to see that yeah. uh, the Lido. Connor, do we know you why? Know, uh, sorry. Just quickly. Well, before, let me just yep. go. I mean, the, the easy, the, the quick connector of influence there is, you know, as we mentioned in the piece that Alistair McKinsey, this was his first design in the United States mm-hmm. and got him some fame, a, 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 a grab on fame here in the United States. So you could say it, the influence of that is Cypress Point, yep. Augusta National, uh, uh, Crystal Downs, yeah. uh, you know, his fame quickly spread. He was well-known in, in, in Europe. He wasn't well-known in the United States until the Lido. So you could say that two of the greatest golf courses in the United States sprung from a course that no longer exists. Yeah, indeed. Just quickly, I've often... And when you, yep, sorry, Jim. And when you had writers yeah. like Darwin, mm-hmm. Hutchison, and Fowler talking about the Lido as much as yeah. Pine Valley and the National, that would be like writers of today talking about Augusta or writers of today talking about uh, another golf famous golf course you pick it but yeah. that's how much influence this golf course had on the people at that time mm. heavyweights on all sides aren't they Jim the riders and all, all of those you know, they're all, all heavyweights <laughs> it's, it's the big guns no kidding big guns of golf at the time do we know why it's called the Lido Connor this just came to me today I will know it's called the Lido why the Lido what does the Lido mean where did that name come from do we know yeah, I'll be honest with you I don't no. you know this one Rod 
Or how about you, Jim? I, I mean, I know Pino Beach, no, but, but I don't know. I don't know the name specific. I assume it's to that uh, area. I do know the reason, and I don't want to be misquoted here, so I'm not going to say it. But I did do during my research. I found there was also another Lido in Italy, and Interesting. the Lido in Italy was up in the northern part, and it was also on the ocean. So I do know that, and for for reference. Both of the golf courses were a, a part of that uh, water feature, but I have to make sure I say this right before I do because I don't want to be misquoted and say, nah, that's not, that's not right. That's <laughs> no, not right. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Too. Oh, interesting, interesting stuff. It's, a, it's, a, it's just such a fascinating tale, Connor, isn't it? If you, if you love stories, it's an amazing story. It, it has that – rock star element to it, the, the, the star that burns so incredibly brightly but for such a short time and leaves us with really yeah. nothing but questions. It is kind of, yeah, I mean, it's a sad story, but it's also kind of mm. one of the great stories. It's, it's mm. exactly, it is exactly the kind of story that I, I love yeah. because it has this amazing beginning and a tragic end. Yeah. Um, and while that's horrible for the golf world, as, as a historian, it's always intriguing. And generally speaking, and I think the Golf Channel showed this, um, it has mass appeal. That's something so great that lasted so in such a short time span can still grab us and, and bring us to emotion today. That's what's so great about history. If, if you find the right stories and you find the right way to tell those stories and you make them relatable and you make them human, people will be attracted to that. And I think that's... That's one of the best stories about Lido is that it is our ideal. It was, you know, this amazing shining star that burnt bright, but only for 28 years. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, it's tragic, but it's so, so such a Rod, great story. Yes, Jim. So, Rod, I'm, I'm going to give a stab at it because I just looked at my presentation that I've done on the Lido for various groups. Mm-hmm. The Lido is an Italian word for shore or bank. Oh, I like okay. that. Nice. For and that sure makes a lot of bank. sense. Yep. So it was, as I told you, when I did my research, there was a Lido beach resort uh, in Italy, and there was also a golf course done called the Lido, Lido in Italy. Oh, okay. But it did not have any resemblance to, to the one that McDonald and Raider had done in Long Beach, New York. The Lido, indeed. Connor, have you got any more questions for Jim? I've run out. Well, I, uh, run I don't out, but think I, so. I'm not no. going to subject the yeah, audience to no, any more just, <laughs> that sort of questions. No, no. I uh, no. I just. I think it was good to tell this little backstory of. Okay. You know, we didn't even get to the fact that we almost got arrested, uh, but I think we hit a lot. Of- <laughs> your, your arrest stories are becoming legendary on this podcast. Oh, There's almost one per episode. And that wasn't even. To be fair, that wasn't even me. And yes. I did offer to break the law after we were almost arrested. I was that adamant that the story had to be told a certain way, and I was willing to go to jail for it. Yeah. <laughs> Am I uh, wrong, Jim? Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. And you see, Rod, the exuberance of Connor is the reason why this golf course is so famous. Mm-hmm. The reason why writers wrote about it, 
the reason that McDonald created it with Rainer is because it's so fascinating. And Connor was willing to go in the cop car if he had to. <laughs> I really was trying to tell that story. <laughs> and so, and you know what? You know what, though? I mean, let me, I mean, God bless the Golf Channel and Brandon. I mean, what an amazing editing job. When you oh, realize absolutely. that we had, we only taped or recorded, Jim, what would you say, 70% of what we had planned on recording that day when we were we stopped? Missed, yeah. We missed some stuff, and yet... We missed the channel. Like, we wanted to be on the channel side, and, and you know, and we were you, stopped you in our tracks. You think we had done everything. Yeah, we, you thought we had yeah. done everything. And, and Rod, sadly... I could talk for hours about this. <laughs> Nothing Connor sad about that, hours yep. about yeah. this. I could listen. And yet, until you touch and feel it, a lot of people would never understand it. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. like, it's like that Scottish golf experience, isn't it, Jim? You can tell it people is. and tell people and tell people, but everybody has an individual experience, but it's Agreed. the same collectively. It's an awakening Agreed. of Agreed. Uh, stuff. You know, yep. I, what I would say, Rod, to all the people who, you know, maybe live in New York and play golf or Long Island, or maybe you're up there at Beth Page right now. Um, it's 15 miles from Beth Page. It's a public beach. Don't you can go right now. I think you saw it in the, in the uh, segment. You can, it's a parking lot um, where the, the leaving hole is, is sat. It's a tennis court where you would play over. But you can sit there and you can literally park on the southern hemisphere of the Lido and look out on the ocean as Charles Blair McDonald and Seth Rayner did 105 years ago. And that, I guess that's the beauty of it, too, is you can kind of feel the spirit of that mm. course and get on that site and walk on that beach just like they did. It's no longer a, you know, a private bastion of uh, rich men's lives. It's a public beach. Uh, if there's any savior in here is that you can walk it, you can feel it, and you can get an idea of what they had. Yeah. Those shots of the two of you, you and Jim, walking uh, in the Golf Channel piece, you could, you could almost feel a bit of it. Then you could certainly see that the two, the two of you were into it. You, know, you weren't just wandering along in front of the camera. There's something very special about the vibe there. If you know special. the backstory, Connor, uh, this story I don't think is done yet. Jim certainly don't, doesn't feel like the last chapter's been written, and we can only wish him all the best with that. But thank you for taking some time today, Connor. Always terrific to chat to you. Thank you, Rod. Oh, thank you, Connor. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Jim. And again, thanks to everybody out there in podcast land. My mom and dad, I'm going to throw a shout out to the kids. My kids listen to the podcast. So uh, Jackson, Madeline, Charlotte, there you go. That's you. I'm never going to bring up your name again in the podcast, so get used to it. As if you weren't um, embarrassing enough, Connor, to your kids. <laughs> no, You're now naming them on a golf podcast. <laughs> By the way, if, if you're listening to this, I'm going to post a video um, probably tonight or tomorrow on Twitter uh, my son actually videoed, like with his camera, um, the segment airing on the Golf Channel. And you can hear my youngest say hi to me as if I could hear her. <laughs> and my son goes, Charlotte, they filmed that a month ago. <laughs> it's just, it's the just program. Too, it is hilarious. It's hilarious. Great so, stuff. I mean, it's brought a lot of, a lot of happiness to this family. And, and we heard so many great things on Twitter, on yeah. Facebook, of people who didn't know the story, yeah. who maybe didn't even see the thread, and were like, wow, I live three miles from there, and I never knew it. And that's what really brings happiness to me is, you know, history this time hit such a mass audience. 
um, it, it really warms my heart that know that all these people watched it and were kind of moved by it. And that's, you know, it's what I do. That's, you know, that's the biggest compliment we can get, right? It's the, it's the only payment you're going to get, isn't it, Connor? That's the truth of it. That's and, so true. Yeah. I'm going broke doing this. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm enjoying watching it. It's fantastic to be a part of. <laughs> that's right. Uh, thank you, Connor. Now, make sure you send me a link. I'll put a link to – you can get the link on – you can get the segment online, can't you? You can watch it online. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes when you send yeah, it to me. Absolutely. Uh, and and uh, is there some maps or some other things that we can link to that show people the leader? Absolutely. If they I'll send another? you some stuff. Fantastic. Yeah, All of that will be in the show notes. So you can go and do – Jim's going to send me Jim's going to send me those photos he wouldn't send yeah. me before. Um, I won't share them with you, Rod, but they'll be in my on my computer. Uh, fair. Nice that try. Laugh, nice by try. the way, that laugh means no. Yeah, that that's right. Means no. That's the no laugh. The yes laugh sounds completely differently. <laughs> Thank right. you. Thank so you for your interest. Maybe someday. Oh, you never know. And the the, here's the other thing, Jim. This is how these things work. You never know who's listening and what they've got. And what they, you just don't know. It's a funny old world. You just this stuff don't together. Exactly know. right. So I agree. You never I know. agree. Thank you. Thank let's you, Jim. Build, let's build it at Cabot. Let's build it at Cabot, <laughs> folks. That's where <laughs> we're putting this thing. Okay, that's enough now. <laughs> we're building it at Bamboogle Dunes, right. if anywhere. That's the last word because it's mine. That's episode 10 of the Talking Golf History podcast in the books. Hope you've enjoyed it. And as I, I think Jim alluded to, it's probably asked more questions than it's answered, but it's been a fantastic story to be a part of. And we look forward to your company next time here on the Talk and Golf History Podcast. Uh, now, just to clear up a couple of things before we finish up this episode, we did get a couple of listener questions for Jim uh, that we didn't get the chance to put to him during the recording, so I thought I'd quickly get these sorted. Now, we did get a couple of answers from Jim after we'd pressed the stop button, uh, so I just wanted to fill you on what those were. There was a question from on Twitter from at can Hideki win? Uh, he was asking whether the channel hole at the Lido was based on any other particular hole. And Jim says, yes, was based on a hole at the Littlestone Golf Club in England. Uh, there's options to go left and right. It's sort of a split fairway idea, basically, that, that, that Jim and uh, his team tried to recreate that at the old McDonald's 17th hole. If you think about the seventh hole at Val, Valhalla, where there's been a couple of Ryder Cups and PGA's played. That's the par five with sort of a split fairway idea. Similar idea to that, but it's based on a hole at the Littlestone Golf Club in England. So I hope that helps from uh, you from uh, at Ken Hideki Win. And the second question was from Ryan Stimson. I don't think we need to explore this one too much further. He just simply asked, can Jim ask Mike Kaiser to restore the course for public play? Well, Jim said he'll ask. But uh, I don't think we can assume that that will happen. Wouldn't that be a wonderful but unbelievably expensive undertaking? So a couple of listener questions there. Hope that helps you, and I hope you guys were interested uh, in the story of The Lido, as brought to you by Connor and Jim Urbino. <laughs>